0: Good morning. Good to be with you guys today. It's, uh, as I was uh, thinking about today, I thought to uh, December 6th, 2020. Uh, that's the first time we gathered here as a church. And so we have, I guess, celebrated our six month anniversary as a church, which is uh, pretty exciting. So, Okay, clap. But it's great to be with you. My name is Gabe Etzel. Uh, I've been uh, here uh, since the start, six months ago. But it uh, really is an honor to be with you today and to uh, continue in our series in Philippians chapter four. So, if you uh, could turn to that passage today, Philippians chapter four. I'm going to read verses 10 through 13. Uh, as you know, if you are looking at your Bibles, this is getting towards the end of the book of Philippians And uh, it's just been a, i think a really encouraging series. I know for me throughout the spring here as we've been talking uh, About uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi and the encouragement that he was sending them and the challenges that he was sending them I've certainly been challenged by that and I think my family has as well uh, So let's read together or, or, or I'll read for you, I guess, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 13. If you're new to the Bible, Philippians is towards the end of the Bible. And so if you need help finding that, please make sure you ask someone because we will be uh, spending quite a bit of time in this passage and then moving around a little bit uh, throughout this morning. So let's read Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I assume that many of you are familiar at least with that last verse that we read, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, you've seen it probably on some bumper stickers, maybe on the uh, below the eyes at a football game, right? On football players, Philippians and 4.13, you see that, you see it on the t-shirts, you see it on the uh, wall of gymnasiums at Christian schools, that's always a favorite one. Uh, that uh, we will do as a Christian community, and yet I wonder if we really understand the significance of that verse. And so, as I was preparing for today, I certainly want to talk through these four verses, but I also thought it would be helpful to maybe even take a step back as a Christian community and think about the way that we approach Scripture at times. Uh, a verse like this, again, is a very popular verse for us to use. I, I don't necessarily want to give a classroom lecture on a sound biblical hermeneutics. That's a fancy word for saying interpretation, right? So it's not really a classroom lecture. Yet, I do want to take this opportunity as we look at this verse to really talk about How we approach scripture why I want to do that is because our understanding of God right our understanding of Scripture shapes our understanding of God and our understanding of God then shapes how we live right and so our views of God are very important uh, as Tozer wrote uh, an author and and pastor from years ago but uh, one of the most important things or really the most important thing about us is our view of God that's how we live our life And so we want to make sure that we're accurately looking at his scripture because it shapes our understanding of him and shapes our actions. And so with those goals in mind, right, to properly look at this passage, but also to take a step back and even think about the way we think about scripture, uh, let's pray and then begin. Heavenly Father, I just thank you once again for an opportunity to be here. I thank you for an opportunity to gather. Uh, We don't take that lightly. We know that throughout the world, Uh, this would not be possible in many places. and So we thank you. I thank you uh, for this local community. I thank you for the past six months and what these people have meant to me and to my family. We pray for your uh, guidance today. We pray for your conviction where needed, your encouragement where needed. May we be faithful to you, to your word. and May we walk in obedience. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so I want to start with a story, uh, a little illustration that might help uh, get our minds thinking about the significance of some of these verses. So imagine two boys playing on opposing basketball teams. They don't know each other, but they have something in common. They're both from healthy Christian homes where they've been taught to love and serve God. Each also knows a little bit about the Bible. In fact, they love the same Bible verse one of the first verses each one committed to memory philippians 4 13 i can do all things through him who strengthens me the basketball game proves to be a fierce competition for four quarters the boys run shoot jump and rebound as hard as they can both fortified by the thought i could do all things through christ who strengthens me but at the end of the day only one kid in his team would be the winner and on the way home that we'd stare out the car window or maybe more appropriately at their cell phones and have two completely different thoughts one will tell himself you know god is awesome he really does give me strength we won what an awesome game the other is thinking quite the opposite where was god when i needed him today i guess his strength is not strong enough and not what i thought what a joke so what do we do which boy is right How does the promise of Philippians 4.13 work for us? The author uh, of the book, The Most Misused Verses in the Bible, uses that story as an illustration, maybe a little bit closer to home, right? Uh, Let's say you have a load of groceries in the back of your van, and you're convinced that you can carry all the bags in with just one trip. Who's with me, right? So as you load up your arms, loop after loop with the plastic rings, right is it legitimate to say i can do all things through christ who strengthens me what if i drop one of the bags on the way in what if i don't make it to the kitchen what if i make it to the kitchen counter but can't lift the bags onto the counter and have to drop them on the kitchen floor has christ not strengthened me was i weak was it god's fault? right so maybe humorous illustrations but yet The challenge before us, I think, is to say, is that more ridiculous? I want to be kind here, than maybe having a T-shirt that says that, and maybe not thinking of groceries. But it's kind of how we live our lives at times. So the author goes on to say, when we take scripture out of context and try to use the Bible how we see fit. We can easily set ourselves up for defeat in fact when we become so disillusioned with god we practically shipwreck our faith because he's not meeting our expectations god says he can do this and he's not next thing you know we begin to doubt the bible's integrity and ultimately god's ability to do what he promises and so we don't want that to happen to us right as a community of believers we want to be able to encourage those who are around with the word of God and accurately interpret that. Uh, So, as I said, what I wanna do is maybe take a step back and look at our approach to scripture. Uh, I I remember a um, uh, uh, article that I read years ago entitled, Never Read a Bible Verse, right? So the article seemed a little odd in the title. And the author said, never read a Bible verse, but what he meant by that is never read a Bible verse just that one verse, right? You always want to read the verse in the context of the surrounding verses. And so picture kind of a bullseye, right, with rings going out from that, where maybe that particular verse or a couple of verses would be at the center ring. We want to start to consider other rings of context. And so uh, the first would be that center ring, the passage of the verse itself, in this case, Philippians 4.13, or this passage that we have. The next ring out would be kind of the immediate context that we would want to consider. Uh, in, in this situation, we maybe say the, the paragraph, and for probably most of you, verses 10 through 13 would be a paragraph in most of your Bibles. The next ring would be the larger section within the book, perhaps the chapter that it's associated with. And so uh, we have been going through the book of Philippians, right? And So we know from a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Tyler spoke on the significance, uh, rejoicing in the Lord and the importance of that. We know last week Pastor Brandon talked about our mind and our mindset, our very approach to uh, living life, and the, and the way that we should be living. So that larger section. The next ring would be the book itself. Again, we've been walking through the Book of Philippians, and then the last ring would be Scripture, all of Scripture. Uh, I had a, a professor in college who said the Bible can never mean, or a verse can never mean what it never meant never mean what it never meant and shame on us if we claim promises that aren't ours and apply to our lives now we can learn principles about god that certainly have an impact on our lives but we don't want to claim promises that are not ours as though they are so media context the rest of the larger section of the book itself and then the rest of the bible will help us as we interpret. So uh, with that in mind, let's look uh, once again at these verses. I have kind of four points, one point from each uh, verse that we have before us. And so let me read kind of quickly these four points, but for those of you like me who uh, wanna make sure I get all the wording of the four points, we will go back over them. But point number one, Paul's great rejoicing in the Lord. That's verse 10. So Paul's great rejoicing in the Lord. Number two, the path to contentment. Verse 11, the path to contentment. Point number three, the secret of true contentment. Verse 12, the secret of true contentment. And number four, the source of true contentment. Verse 13, the source of true contentment. All right, so let's look at Point number one, Paul's great rejoicing in the Lord from Philippians 4 verse 10. Let's read that again. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Consider here that Paul uh, continues that theme of rejoicing. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, as we've looked at the book of Philippians, you know that the word joy or rejoicing is used many times throughout the book um paul uh, had a genuine excitement i think as he was writing to the church at philippi uh, not only himself but also for those believers but he was also challenging challenging them throughout the book uh probably the most evident of these 16 uses would have been from a couple weeks ago when he looked at it so look uh philippians 4 verse 4. Okay, and kind of a, just this summary statement that Paul is giving them. Philippians 4:4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul was kind of commanding them to do this in the same way that he is now thanking them. And he is rejoicing in the fact that they have been able to revive their concern for him and send him this gift. Uh, it's the only time really in the New Testament, actually, that the words greatly are associated with rejoice, which shows you how kind of excited or or, uh, enthusiastic Paul was that they had revived their concern for him. Uh, So we have great intensity in Paul's rejoicing because of them. But notice what Paul is rejoicing about. He's not necessarily rejoicing because of the gift, right? so notice what it says i rejoice in the lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me we'll know later in the passage next week we'll get into some of the following verses that they did give a gift and he thanked them for that but his rejoicing was actually in the fact that they were concerned about him had revived that concern for them now we know from the second part of the verse indeed you were concerned for me but you had no opportunity the greek there has this kind of context of kind of a state of dormancy, right? And so we just, uh, like, like a blossoming almost, right? So we, we just came through winter, right? You know, through the winter months. And I'm from Pennsylvania, so the winter months down here it's kind of like winter months, you know, it's fine. you still wearing shorts most of the time, but, but in that though, there, there's a state of dormancy, right? Where there's an expectation a little bit, right? And so think about when you know spring is here, things are a little bit different. For me, I know spring is here when two things happen, all right? One is spring break, because it, it says spring break, right? So I'm not a very smart guy. Spring break, that's one, right? The second one, come on now, uh, The second one is uh, I, we live off of uh, Leesville Road, and so I get off 460, take the exit ramp to Leesville Road, and I'm waiting to turn left, because i don't on the stoplight there yet, which sometimes takes some time, that's fine. Uh, but there's Daffy Royals. Right, there's daffodils that are on that exit ramp. So I mean, you know, sometimes I'm driving home and, um, you know, things are on my mind and I, well, I just want to get home and I look over and all of a sudden it's like they just appear, like dozen of them, right? And I know that, hey, it's springtime, right? Because I see daffodils. In a similar way, all right, no different than maybe my rejoicing to see daffodils, but we see that Paul is rejoicing because now at last they're concerned for him had been revived right uh picture maybe a uh, individual who maybe you want to help meet their needs but for whatever reason you're not able to right now okay even maybe a little closer to home picture a new church who is burdened to help but maybe doesn't have the means right now to help as much as they want to it's not that they're not concerned it's that maybe we don't have the means to do that right now. And so we don't know exactly why they were not able to help until now in this particular instance, but we do know that they had a concern and now they had the opportunity. We, we know a little bit about the Philippian church though as well in that they had been active in Paul's ministry really throughout. And so we don't know how long this time period was when Paul wasn't maybe receiving any help from them but we know from the start of the church that they had been involved. Uh, Acts chapter 16, We're not gonna turn there right now, but you might wanna write that down. Acts chapter 16, uh, this is kind of the starting of the church at Philippi. So this would have been in the early 50s, okay? And so Paul was writing this letter to the church in probably the early 60s, so about 10 years prior. Paul wouldn't have been in Philippi, he would have actually been in a prison and uh, in prison, uh, we see the actual the Philippian jailer get saved, and some others get saved through Paul's testimony. And from that day forward, really, they had helped Paul in his ministry. Uh, look at um, even a little bit further down in the passage. Again, we'll get here next week. But Philippians 4:15 and 16. Let's read that very quickly. We'll go into more depth next week. And you know, Philippians, so this is verse 15, chapter four, and you know, Philippians, yourselves, um, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So we know that Paul had been supported by them in the past and they were doing that again for him now. They had a time of dormancy, but they had renewed that for him and Paul greatly rejoiced. But before we move on from this verse, let's note that he rejoiced in the Lord. I remember hearing a sermon when when a pastor was talking about the significance of things that we can experience apart from God. And and those can be uh, exciting things or joyous things, but there's something different about experiencing things in the Lord. It takes it to a higher level. So he was even saying, you know, you can enjoy food, right? Like a, an unsafe person can can eat a steak and think that the steak is good, but when you realize that God is the giver of all things, it goes beyond just the physical and, and even a supernatural rejoicing. And so we see that Paul, really throughout this book, is reiterating the significance of being in the Lord. Let me, let me uh, read just a few of those to you or reference them. Uh, 1 verse 1, so it just book Philippians, 1 verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. 1 verse eight, 8, Paul yearned for the saints with the affection of Christ Jesus. 2 verse 1, Paul spoke of the encouragement in Christ. 2 verse 19, his hope was in the Lord Jesus. 3 verse 9, his faith was in Christ. 4 verse 1, his standing firm was in the Lord. So this was a the theme of Paul's life, of being in the Lord. Uh, saturated in everything that he does. Uh, I think of Jesus' command before he goes to the cross of abiding in me. We see in the life of Paul that Paul was abiding in Christ. And so it would only be natural for his rejoicing to be in the Lord. It's not just a physical, not just a human rejoicing, but a supernatural rejoicing that he was experiencing. And so to recap, verse 10, we see Paul greatly rejoicing, not necessarily just in the the gift itself, but in the fact that that church had revived their interest in him and were able to then participate in his ministry. And he was thankful for what it would actually do on their behalf. Point number two, we're talking uh, verse 11, and that is the path to contentment. We take a little bit of a turn here, in my mind, of what I would anticipate Paul having said. You know uh, I'm excited that you have revived your concern for me Uh, not that you didn't care but now uh, you have the opportunity to give so thank you for your gift I was in great need and you really helped me out now uh, verse 11 let's read again not that I am speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content Paul actually kind of goes there in a way to say I wasn't really even in need. And yet, if we know the context of Paul's writing, I think I would say, and probably you would say, it, it seems to me that Paul actually was in need. So, so what's going on here? Is Paul being dishonest? Uh, it's like, Paul, you, you know, right? And, and one of the members of the church actually came to you and they're delivering the letter back to you. So I'm sure Epaphroditus would have said, you know, Paul, he's not in a great place. He's in a Roman prison. Uh, these are not the, the greatest of accommodations right now. He's awaiting trial. He's not sure what will happen. His life might be expected of him, right, or taken from him because of this. And yet Paul says, I'm not, I'm not in need. But thank you. But I've learned to be content. So what was Paul really talking about? It seems that Paul was talking about the fact that he's not in some desperate state of despair, just hoping someone comes along and rescues him why because he says i have learned to be content in any situation it's not that paul didn't have some physical needs paul certainly knew what it was like to um to to have uh maybe physical needs or or emotional needs right or or needs that he wanted others maybe to come and help at times but he knew it wasn't ultimately through those people right it was ultimately through god's provision that would sustain him so when paul says that not that i was in need He's not ignoring the fact that there were some aspects of his life that maybe could have gone better. He was affirming his faith in God, that God would take care of him. Whether it was through the Philippians, whether it was through someone else, Paul knew that God would be there for him. He had challenged them actually in the same way earlier in this very section, right? So look previous to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, right? We looked at verse 4 already. Look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So the very context of these verses, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul was living out what he had commanded the believers at Philippi to do, right? Don't be anxious about anything. And Paul was saying, I'm not anxious about Anything that I have uh, look down even to a little later in the passage beyond our particular section so Philippians 4 verse 19 again we'll look at this in more depth next week but look what he says to them verse 19 Philippians chapter 4 and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus so he was modeling for them what he was uh, uh, encouraging them to do With his letter back to them. So, Paul's need was not some kind of despair that he had. The second thing that we want to look at this is it says, I'm not speaking for being in need, for I have learned. The the Greek here uh, indicates that learning is through experiences. Okay? And so let's rehearse maybe just a little bit of Paul's life and what might have helped him learn these things and learn how to be content. Uh, prior to Paul's conversion, we know that Paul was as good as you could get, right? I mean, if, if there was a way really to earn your salvation, Paul, it seems, would have done that. He, he had really everything that he needed. Turn back a chapter, Philippians chapter 3. Again, a review for some of you who have been through these um uh past few weeks with us but philippians chapter 3 just a couple verses here that we're going to look at but prior to paul's conversion we see in his kind of mindset right so philippians 3 we'll start in verse 4. though i myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh i have more circumcised on the eighth day people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Right? So Paul had that experience in his past where he said, I know what it was like to do everything you think you can do to be right with God apart from Christ. But then at his conversion, if you know Paul's story, He's actually heading to persecute the church into kind of far regions of uh, the, the nation of Israel. He's going to Damascus, and he's very far up north. And we know that he had a very kind of dramatic conversion experience where the Lord appeared to him in this blinding light. And uh, Afterwards, he was actually blind for a few days. And we know in this that God was faithful to him. So let's continue reading verses 7 and 8, Philippians chapter Three, but whatever this is, uh, seven and eight in Philippians three. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Right? Gives us a little context to help us better understand the passage we have before us today. That at conversion, he realized I had given up all those things. Whatever I had gained, I now count as lost. That I may have Christ. He he is the great reward. And then after conversion, everything in Paul's life was great. Not necessarily, right? Paul had a very difficult life, I think, in in many regards. Very difficult life. He went through a, a lot for the sake of Christ and to build Christ's church, right? So... Let's turn back a couple books here to 2 Corinthians. So the the church of Philippi was started in about 50, the early 50s, and Paul's writing in the early 60s. Uh, Between that time, Paul had written other letters. One of those letters is 2 Corinthians. So the letter of 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us a little bit of insight into some of the things that he had gone through uh, for the sake of The gospel for the sake of Christ begins back a a few books in your Bible. Let me just read to you Paul's experiences that helped, I think, to shape what he had learned. It had helped him to become content. Second Corinthians, I'll start in verse uh, 24. Sorry, verse 23. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. 23. Did I say 11? Sorry. 2 Corinthians 11, 23. Probably chapters are important. My bad. 2 right. Corinthians eleven twenty-three. 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. And often near death. Paul had a unique relationship with the church of Corinth. We won't go into all that, and uh, they were kind of challenging his authority to lead them. And so this is why he's kind of pushing back on that. So that's why he, he's kind of going there. But verse 24: Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I would beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardships, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. We see that Paul had been through a lot for the sake of Christ. And that seems to have had a shaping influence on his life. Right? And so. Turning back to now Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And so before we move on to this verse, let's look at one more word here, and that is the word content. Right? So really the title of the sermon, if I were given one, would be Supernatural Contentment in Christ. This is not contentment that you and I can come up with on our own. This is a supernatural contentment work of God this only makes sense if we start with that understanding that this is in Christ and then the book ends, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me only through that what do we even mean by the word content or what does scripture mean by the word content one commentator says the idea of being content was used to describe the person who through discipline had become independent of external circumstances and who had discovered personal resources that were more than adequate in any situation that might arise. Okay, let me read that one more time. The idea of contentment was used to describe the person who through discipline, through experiences, had learned this, right, had become independent of external circumstances, and who had discovered personal resources that were more than adequate for any situation that might arise. Okay, so if you're reading that, you're like, "Mm, okay, personal resources, we're going to get there, right? We're going to get there how Paul kind of changes that a little bit, but we're not looking to external circumstances for the source of our contentment, right? I'm not in need. I have learned to be content no matter what circumstances may arise, okay? So let's continue on. Point three, what is the secret then of this true contentment? Verse 12 the secret of true contentment. Let's read that together. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, and hunger, abundance, and need. So let's work through some of these concepts here. He says, I know what it's like to be brought low. Uh, as you would probably imagine, it's kind of has that aspect of humility, right? To be humble. Paul knows what it was like to be humble low prestige or status to be humiliated to be subjected to strict discipline paul had experienced this many times and earlier in this book chapter 2 which is kind of i think somewhat of the highlight of the book right and this understanding of christ and who he was philippians chapter 2 verse 8 it reads and being found in human form this is talking about christ he christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross paul to these very people in this very letter had said christ is our example and christ although he's god he humbled himself to the point of death even death on a cross which would have been like a really terrible death to have experienced right so christ is ultimately our example of humility but the apostle paul himself had used himself many times to say what you see in me you should also do. So 2nd Corinthians chapter eleven, we read some of that. Paul actually says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Philippians chapter three, verse seventeen says that what you've seen in me, do likewise. So he uses himself as an example, and Paul knows what it is like to be content in the face of humble circumstances. However, he doesn't stop there. I know what it's like to be brought low I know how to abound so many are like oh yeah I like that one okay let's do the abound one right and I think sometimes honestly we kind of miss this right we think well be content when we don't have much what about being content when we have a lot that's a challenge I think right because in our minds I think well, that contentment only relates to this aspect. It doesn't relate to this aspect. Abound has the idea of prosperity, right? And, and I actually think, and, and, and if I'm wrong here, we can talk afterwards and that's fine, um, but I think it's actually probably harder at times to be content when you have a time of abundance or prosperity, or, or maybe it's more difficult in the times of abundance to really remember God and the source of that abundance right uh one uh author said came across this quote it says for one man who can stand prosperity there are a hundred who will stand adversity standing prosperity is actually a very difficult thing to do Have have we even considered the fact that maybe it's the grace of god because of the grace of god that we don't have more than what we have why because sometimes we would forget him in our abundance and i know some of you are like well wow, i'd like the opportunity to try that maybe right and yet we do need to reflect on how much god has given us right i mean honestly and i don't I won't spend a lot of time there but i mean we are in a very good place right and that's not that we don't have some needs right are represented here but we are in a very good place where most all of our needs are taken Uh, Care of for us, right? Through work that we have and other resources that we have. And so God has certainly seen fit to bless us in many, many ways. To maybe drive home this point just a little bit more, uh, let's turn to the Old Testament. Okay, I want to read a passage from the book of Deuteronomy. And so now we're going way to the front of the Bible. Uh, Book number five, all right? So uh, it's just. a few books into the Old Testament as an example of the idea of abundance. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 8. <clears throat> I'm going to read a few, few verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Start verse 11. This is uh, before they enter into the promised land. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is the nation of Israel, verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I have commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten in are food and have built good homes or good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be filled and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground and there was no water who brought you water out of a flippy rock and who fled uh, fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end beware lest you say in your heart my power and my might my hand have gotten me this well shall remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers uh, as it is this day. The idea, do not forget the Lord your God in the midst of prosperity. Sometimes we get so low that's only place we can look is up. But what happens when we are in prosperous times? We are told here that we are to be content. Finally, here in verse 12, we see that once again, Paul, I'm sorry, back to Philippians chapter four. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in, in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so we see Paul once again, like in verse 11, says he has learned. In this context, though, he says, I've learned the secret of. You're like, well, that's an interesting wording. Again, uh, as, as with some of the words here or phrases, it's only time we see this in the New Testament, so we can't necessarily compare it. To another passage of scripture in that sense, but uh, we do know that, it, that that phrasing was used actually um, kind of of some mystery religions, okay? And so, you're like, Paul, where are you going here? Um, are you going into some kind of mystery religion, Hellenistic mystery religion, as some commentators would would indicate? And, and I say, no, he's not going to mystery religion. But as they would say, well, we found the secret. Paul say, no, I, I have actually found the secret of being content. It's not this. It's in Christ. The secret is in Christ. One commentator says this, contrary to the cliche that experience is the best teacher, contentment is not learned merely by experience in all the circumstances of life, but by being in Christ in any and every situation. You just read about Paul, right? All these things he went through. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul has learned the secret of being content because he has learned to keep his focus On his relationship with Christ not the fluctuating circumstances of his life so what can we learn from Philippians 4 verse 12 first contentment is not based on our circumstances it's just not second contentment is needed both in times of humble circumstances and in times of abundance and third we are reminded that true contentment is something that is learned and only found in our relationship with Christ Which then leads us to point four, which is the source of true contentment, Philippians 4.13. So, for those of you who maybe walked in this morning uh, thinking about that Philippians 4.13 tattoo, I'm not saying don't get it, right? I am saying understand the context of the verse, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context of that verse is just wrapped in this idea of thankfulness, relationship with Christ, and the idea of contentment. So one translation, right? The ESV, I think it's a great version. One translation actually makes it a little bit easier on us uh, and adds a word, right, which says, uh, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, which is kind of, I think, a helpful way to look at it. Again, I love the ESV. and I think they do a great job. Uh, that translation kind of uh, it interprets it a little bit. Uh, maybe it's harder to put that on the gym wall than I can do all this. All things, what does Paul mean by this? Now, what one author says, Paul is not claiming omnipotence. He's not claiming to be all-powerful. He's not claiming to have the ability to all things without exception. Any use of this verse to support a claim or a goal, but a triumphant, victorious Christian life without weakness or limitation conflicts with the immediate context and the wider teaching of Paul. Remember where Paul's at? Prison, a Roman prison. Right? He's not like grabbing the bars and I can do all things. Right? He's writing this letter in a state of contentment, knowing that God will provide. The contextual meaning uh, of this all refers to the previous claim that he content whatever the circumstance and all the situations of his life in poverty and prosperity when well fed and when hungry, Paul can be content. He has the power to endure all these extreme situations all the ups and downs without anxiety with the peace of God guarding his heart and then finally say what does it mean through him who strengthens me well that's really the key right that is the secret that Paul has learned through the many experiences that he has been through uh, consider uh, um, Paul's statements again throughout this book the context of this book uh, we won't turn to all of them now, but one, verse twenty-one, Philippians one twenty-one: "For to me to live is Christ." Philippians two twenty-four: "For I am confident in the Lord." Philippians three ten: "I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings." In verse uh, in verse ten, what we just read: "I rejoice greatly in the Lord." It is this communion with Christ that is the source of Paul's strength. As uh, Hanson, a uh, commentator said, Paul's contentment in all circumstances was not passive acceptance, a whatever will will be, a whatever will be will be attitude, but an active pursuit of the goal to know Christ and to preach Christ. In his active pursuit of his relationship with God, Paul found true contentment. One other verse I want to uh, kind of look at, see Philippians 1, verses 19 through 21, that kind of sums up some of these things for us. Philippians 1, 21. So turn back just a couple chapters. Actually, let's start in verse 19. <clears throat> Philippians 1, 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. gets writing from prison verse 20 as it is my eager expectation and hope that i will not uh, be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is christ and to die is gain want to die in prison praise god i'm going to get out and be able to help strengthen churches Praise God. I mean, what can you do to an individual who takes that mindset? And yet this is what Paul is encouraging the church of Philippi to have and what I believe God would encourage us to have today as well. And so as we see the context of the writing of Philippians 4.13, hopefully we get a better picture of the idea of contentment that Christ is asking us to have. Uh, We won't take time this morning, but even the Sermon on the Mount, I encourage you Matthew five six, and, uh, yeah, 5, 6, and 7, go maybe this week and read the Sermon on the Mount. Kind of a summary of that is this is what kingdom living looks like. Okay, so Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you get the Beatitudes, and you have kind of this contrast. If you've heard it said this, but I say to do this. And you have these verses like, don't store it for yourself, treasure on earth. Store it for yourself, treasure in heaven. Don't be anxious because God will provide for you. And so we see that this passage corresponds with the rest of Scripture as well. In conclusion, let me read uh, just a little bit from what John MacArthur says about Philippians chapter 4. Uh, If you know Dr. MacArthur, he's uh, just a great uh, preacher and author. He has this to say, Contentment is a highly prized but elusive virtue. It comes only from being rightly related to God and trusting His sovereign, loving, purposeful providence. Nevertheless, people seek it where, they can, where it cannot be found in money, in possessions, in power, prestige, in relationships, in jobs, or freedom from difficulties. But by that definition, contentment is unattainable. It is impossible in this fallen world to be completely free from problems. In sharp contrast, Dr. MacArthur says, to the world's understanding of contentment is this simple definition of spiritual contentment penned by Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, graceful frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Do we trust God enough that He will provide for us? And even if that means death, we know that it is for gain. So, our challenge let's do an internal audit, right? Where are we on contentment in difficult times, in times of prosperity, but not only for us, so that's the first challenge, but also for the sake of others around us, right? So Paul continually uses himself as an example, and I can't help but think, at times my lack of contentment has a negative influence on my family, on my co-workers, on my church family, and and, and yet my contentment could have a positive influence on me. So may we be the people of God who faithfully put our trust in God, who build our relationship in God, who allow those experiences we go through to help shape us to be people who are firmly planted in Christ and live lives of contentment. Let's pray.